0: Well, he was trudging through to the next town. And the only thing heavier than the gifts he was carrying was the excitement to see his friends in the next town. And on his way, he turned a corner. And as he rounded the corner, he was saddened to see a few robbers. And they outnumbered him five to one. But he did not stand a chance at all. And so... A few blows later, the poor man is lying in a ditch with nothing left but his clothes. Instead of gifts, he's carrying wounds. Instead of excitement, he's carrying pain. And there he lies under the hot sun for a few hours. The only thing to drink in is the heat. And the only thing to dress his wounds is a thin cloak left that is now absorbing all the blood. And then he hears footsteps. And he looks over the ditch as much as he can and he groans. He says, it's a priest. I'm saved. It's a priest. It's a religious man. And so he starts to call out for help, but his parched throat is, it can only utter a hoarse moan, something that is just unrecognizable. And the priest looks in the general direction and says, "Mm," and goes the other way around the road to avoid him and moves on. And then some time passes. And again, footsteps. He looks up. It's a Levite. I'm saved for sure. The Levite again looks when he cries out. Again, goes to the far end of the road. And again, passes by. And now he's just feeling completely dejected, dehumanized, hopeless. And then he hears footsteps again. He almost doesn't even feel like crying out, but he does. But this time the footsteps aren't moving further away. He hears them shuffling closer and closer and closer. And he looks up and he sees the last person he ever imagined he would see. A Samaritan? A heretical? Disdainful? A Samaritan? Which I... uh, But he has, this is no time to allow prejudices to play the game. And he resigns. And the Samaritan begins to dress his wounds. And he feels himself being picked up and carried and set on an animal. And he's delivered to the nearest town where he is, you know, taken care of and the wounds are dressed and everything is paid for at the Samaritan's expense. And that Jew that day learned something and we all know this story right the the parable of the good samaritan well we are as we're going through zechariah we're going through and we're looking at the areas um the emphasis we're doing here is longing for home And what's going on with Zechariah is he's on the scene as a prophet about 500 years before Jesus, a few years after the Jews had returned to their homeland after the Babylonian captivity. And he is trying to encourage the people to rebuild the temple, but they're not wanting to because they're super discouraged about everything they're seeing. While they're in exile, the prophets are promising, God is going to visit you again. He's going to bring you back to Jerusalem again. And then he's going to prosper you again. And then when you're prospered, the king will rise up to the throne again. And then all the nations will come to this king and want to worship God. And they, you will rule the world. It's going to be the pinnacle of your existence. What you're created to be, what you're made for, it's going to happen. And so the Jews, while they're in exile away from home, homeless, were holding on to life and hope by the word of the prophet that this is going to happen. We believe it. And they get back to Jerusalem finally, and it seems that everything's being fulfilled. God is returning. He is blessing us. He's bringing us home. He's intervening and saving us. And then they get to Jerusalem, and they are faced with the ruins and the rubble. The streets they once recognized are gone. The home they once had no longer stands. Nothing is recognizable anymore. And worst of all, the temple at the center of the city, weeds have overtaken the rubble. It's been so neglected. And so, all right, we got to do this. And so they start to get to work. But as they begin to get to work, the nations aren't coming to Israel and saying, rule over us. We want to worship your God. They're threatening the Jews. They're telling them they have to stop working. They're not prosperous. They're struggling to even make ends meet. And the king hasn't returned to the throne. Oh, yeah, Zerubbabel, as we've read, he is sort of the governor and he is a son of David. But how much rulership is he exercising when the Persian Empire is ruling the entire world and you're a tribute to them? Nothing is as the prophets had said it would be. So it seems So disappointment is what they had come home to. Zechariah, along with Haggai, burst into the scene to reverse this disappointment. To say, disappointment stopped your work in building the temple, but I want to encourage you to keep building it. So here, Zechariah opens his book by giving them eight dreams of home. The temple right now is very disappointing, but there will be a day. There will be a day when this temple will be the center of the whole earth. And so there's those eight dreams of home that we looked at last week, these glimpses into the future of where everything's going, that everything will be made right indeed. And now this week in chapter seven and eight is four messages. So he did eight dreams in chapters one through six, four messages here in chapters seven and eight. And these messages focus as well on their longing for home. Now, We have gone through a similar experience, right? Just to review last week with the old fire, 2003, October, we were forced out of our homes by an invading army, a ferocious wall of fire. And some of us lost homes. Some of us lost properties. um, Some people even lost their lives and the state lost millions of dollars. And we had to go and find shelter with either friends or family or hotel rooms, right? You remember that? We just had to leave home, not sure if we'd ever see it again. And then we did. We rejoice when about two weeks or so later, we are able to return. And we come back and, well, it's home, but it's not home. Nothing is the way we left it. Everything seems a little bit different. And and that is the best way I can picture in our experience of how the Jews would have felt returning to Jerusalem after a long exile. What was it like to come back and nothing is the way you left it. Nothing's how you remember it. Nothing is the way the prophets spoke of it as. And then we talked last week too about Frederick Buchner. He's a a Christian writer and in one of his stories, his main character goes um, on a long journey and he comes home and on his way home, the village is excited to embrace him so they all get together to welcome and celebrate his arrival and his kids get together and they make a little homemade sign and they draw on it and paint on it and and with their own childish hands, they write the phrase, welcome home on the sign, but being the kids they are and the mistake that they made was that they left off the last little leg of the letter m so it wasn't an m but it was an n and so the phrase said welcome home and as the character was walking back into the village and being embraced the sign said it all something's lacking something's missing i mean sure i'm arriving back to the place i live at and have a family at but it doesn't feel like my true home Something's missing. Something's not quite there. There's one little stroke, one little leg that is not fulfilled. And that is, I believe, our existence here on this earth. We have homes everywhere. You have an address. You have people that you like to hang out with. You have places where you feel like you belong somewhat. But home, our truest home, where we were made to live forever. Oh, we are living in a world of disappointment. And we're constantly getting glimpses of that home. Maybe it's in, you know, the spark of a new love or a new exciting job or some vacation you've been yearning for. And you get these sparks of home. It's like, ah, this is it. But the minute you grasp it, it eludes you, evades you. And there's disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. And so C.S. Lewis said this. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy then the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If I I find in myself a desire that no experience on this earth can satisfy or this world, then the probable explanation is there is a truer home somewhere and I haven't gotten there yet. Well... Zachariah gave us eight dreams of that home, glimpses of the future to come. And he was giving the people, these dreams will conquer your disappointment. Don't let the disappointment drag you down. Don't let it fragment your emotions in your life and cause you to be a reactor to things. But let it make you an actor because you know where you're going. You're rooted and you're anchored in your vision of home. And it's just a matter of bringing people with us. So, yes, we have hones everywhere. The church is a hone. You find hone here, but it's not quite yet our truest home. We're on our way there. So that is um, that's the longing for home, that there's something we know that there's a home we haven't yet arrived to. And we're yearning. We're longing. We're desperate to get there. And so Zechariah is helping the Jews as they come to hone and they're disappointed. He's saying, oh, it will get better than this. Hang in there. Work it out here because it will be something great there. So come with me, Zechariah says. Dream with me. And now he's got four messages that he delivers in chapters 7 and 8. And right before we launch into it, there's one word that hangs over this in my mind. It's neighbor. Neighbor neighbor and is that not a huge part of what home is neighbor now you may not like your neighbor that just simply says you're not really home yet you may love your neighbor and that says there's a glimpse of the true home to come but neighbor is an essential part of home wherever it is neighbors are people it's a place it's a place where this connection There's a community there's belonging and oh sure there's some homes where they're out in the middle of the wilderness but their neighborhood is trees it's wildlife there are places here where we kind of have neighborhoods strands of um weekenders and full-timers and strung along on windy roads and then you got your orange county blocks where it's like yep this is our cul-de-sac this is our neighborhood. Neighbor, neighborhood, it's a huge part of home. There's a connectedness that's something more than you. So keep that in mind. We're going to launch now into these four messages Zachariah gives to the people. This is two years after the dreams, okay? They're halfway through rebuilding the temple. It's two years after last week. Didn't know you, you bet you didn't know that much time went by. All right. Chapter 7, verse 1. His first message is a response to this. In the fourth year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, which is Chislev. Now the people of Bethel, that's very near Jerusalem, had sent Sherezer the regum Melech, and their man to entreat the favor of the Lord, saying to the priests of the house of the Lord, Of hosts and the prophets, this is the question they're coming to ask. Should I weep and abstain in the fifth month as I have done for so many years? So a delegation comes to Jerusalem. They ask Zechariah, "Should we weep and mourn and fast like we have for years? What what is what does this mean? Well, Zechariah." is now going to answer them in a very short message here. First message is this. Verse 4, Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, say to all the people of the land and the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and in the seventh month, for these 70 years, the time of the exile, was it for me that you fasted? And when you eat and you drink, do you not eat? For yourselves and drink for yourselves. Were not these the words that the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous, with her cities around her and the in the south and the lowland were inhabited? So Zacharias asked, "Should we fast? What's going on in their minds? What's this question about?" His first message is about food, essentially food and fasting. Should we fast or not, Zechariah? Well, let me ask you this. When you did fast, was it for God or for yourself? And when you feasted, was that for God or was that for self? The fasts that they're talking about here are something that the Jews began to do to mourn the tragic exile that Babylon enforced upon them. And I want you to watch this expansion of the fast here. In, verse, uh, in 7 verse 3, they ask about one fast, the fast of the fifth month. Then in verse 5, we see that Zechariah answers not just the fifth month, but the seventh month. Two fasts. Then all the way jumping ahead to chapter 8 verse 19, he mentions the fourth month, the 5th month, the 7th month, and the 10th month. So there are actually four fasts that the Jews were carrying on about. These were all to commemorate, not in a positive way, the exile. To remember, to mourn, to say, oh God, look at our, look at our homelessness. Let us return home again. Why the 4th, 5th, 7th, and 10th months? Well, because the whole story begins like this the 10th month Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian armies surround Jerusalem and begin the siege of the city that happened on the 10th month. You can read all these dates in second Kings chapter 25, 10th month city is sieged fourth month of the next year. The walls of the city are breached. That would have been very tragic. A lot of death and a lot of, horror and things being stripped from your life the fifth month this temple in the city was burned down to the ground and destroyed and then the seventh month you might remember from jeremiah study zedek uh gedaliah who was put in charge the babylonians left you know destroyed everything left gedaliah in charge and ishmael assassinated him and then the babylonians came down and did even more damage So that is the sequence. And those are the, they had a day of each of those months where they would fast and say, God, we're homeless. Look upon us. Come save us. We're very sad about this. So they would abstain from food and weep and mourn. That's what the fasts that they're asking are about. So now that the temple is halfway into its rebuilding progress, they're coming up to Jerusalem and saying, the exile's over, right? Do we need to fast anymore? And Zedekiah, Zechariah, excuse me, does not answer them directly here. He just basically says, why did you even do those in the first place? It was for yourselves. You threw a pity party for yourselves. That's why you were fasting. You were, you were sure fasting from food, but what that actually did, what you're doing in practice is you were not just abstaining from food. You were abstaining from your neighbor's. You were neglecting everybody around you and your whole world was caving in and you're absorbing yourself. And it was just you and your little world and you're angry at everything and you're sad about everything to the point that you disconnected yourself from your neighbors. That's what he's getting at. Watch this. The second message, he's going to, he's going to cross that bridge now. So the second message, the first was about food and fasting. The second one in verse eight is about neighbor neglected. Verse eight, and the word of the Lord came to Zechariah saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. But. They refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears that they might not hear. They made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, great anger came from the Lord of hosts. As I called, verse 13, they would not hear. So they called and I would not hear says the Lord of hosts. And I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations that they, ma- that they had not known. Thus the land they left was desolate, so that no one went to and fro, and the pleasant land was made desolate. In this message, see what Zechariah is doing? He's saying, you didn't really fast for God. That abstinence of food wasn't really the whole thing. It was an abstinence from neighbor. You totally disconnected yourself. You know, you were supposed to be helping the widow, the poor, the sojourner, and the orphan, the fatherless. These were those that you were supposed to be reaching out to. They were, in a sense, homeless. They were neighborhoodless. They didn't have the security of a place to be and someone to protect them and to shelter them. And so you, Israel, were supposed to step up and become their family, become their neighborhood for them. But you didn't. You neglected them. And so, what God says is because you neglected them, I'm neglecting you. I'm going to make Jerusalem a widow, fatherless, a sojourner in exile, and poor. And so, Israel reaped what she had sown, is what he is saying there. So, food and fasting, the first message, the second message, neglected neighbor, the third message, everything gets positive now. Be a neighbor. That's the third message you neglected your neighbor? Now just be a neighbor. Chapter eight, verse one. These are visions of home. This is where he. he this is where Zachariah does what he's good at. He says, "Look, look at your true home, and now, now bring it into life." And the word of the Lord of hosts came saying, "Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I am jealous for her with great wrath." So thus says the Lord. I have returned to Zion. I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem and Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city and the, and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain that says the Lord of hosts, old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff in hand because of great age. And the streets shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets. You see what the image he's, he's casting here, right? Like Jerusalem's going to be all right. There's this wonderful picture of everybody in a neighborhood and at home. And, and everything's right. And everyone belongs. And they're growing to great old age. And the young ones are being raised up. And God dwells there. That's the best part. He dwells with his people. And the faithless city is now called faithful. And, and it goes on. Verse 6. That says the Lord of hosts. If it is marvelous in the sight of the remnant of his people in those days, should it also be marvelous in my sight, declares the Lord of hosts? In other words, does this sound impossible to you? This, this future vision of home, does it seem like this will never happen? Don't think so. I can handle it. Paraphrase of what that verse is saying. Verse 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country, and I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in faithfulness and in righteousness. So I'm going to reach out from every end of the earth, and I'm going to bring my homeless, fasting exiles home. And they're going to live in the neighborhood of God. So this is the longest message and the most uplifting. So in verse 9, in light of all this, thus says the Lord of hosts, let your hands be strong. Keep on keeping on. So he talks about how in these days they've been having a hard time and the wage for man and beast, it was very low. The safety wasn't quite yet there, but in verse 11, he says, so your times have been hard, but in verse 11, But now I will not deal with the remnant of this people as in former days, declares the Lord of hosts. I kicked you out of land. You went into exile. I'm not going to deal with you that way anymore. For there shall be a sowing of peace. The vine shall give its fruit and the ground shall give its produce and the heavens shall give their due prosperity. And I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these things. And as you have been a byword of cursing among the nations, A house, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so will I save you and you shall be a blessing. Fear not, but let your hands be strong. These future glimpses of home, this is what Jerusalem will look like. Fear not, let your hands be strong. You've been a curse across the whole world. You've been the proverb and the butt of jokes and low places. But now you'll be a blessing to everyone. So a great reversal. So what should they do in light of all this? Be a neighbor. (laughs) Verse 14. Thus says the Lord of hosts. As I purposed to bring disaster to you when your fathers provoked me to wrath and I did not relent, says the Lord of hosts. So again, have I purposed in in these days to bring good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah? Fear not. So just as bad as the exile was is just how good the prosperity and blessing will be. If you thought it was really bad it's going to tip the scale in the complete opposite direction. So verse 16, these are the things that you are to do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another and love no false oath for all these things. I hate declares the Lord. And so that's the end of message three. Be a neighbor. So Food and fasting. Neighbor neglected. Remember, care for the widow and the orphan and the sojourner. Nah, whatever about them. Exile, homeless. Now, well, now he says, "I'm going to bring you home. It's going to be a great homecoming." And now you will take care of those people. So be a neighbor. Uh, the fourth message: food and feasting. Verse eighteen. <clears throat> And the word of the Lord of hosts came to me saying, thus says the Lord of hosts. And here he finally answers the question about fasting. The fast of the fourth month, the fast of the fifth month, the fast of the seventh and the fast of the 10th shall be to the house of Judah seasons of joy and gladness and cheerful feasts. That's the complete opposite of a fast. Therefore, Love, truth, and peace. Be a neighbor to people. <laughs> Thus says the Lord of hosts People shall yet come, even the inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going, so come with me. Verse 22, many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts. In those days, ten men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying... Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. That is no more fasting, no more neglecting neighbor, but then it's going to all turn with visions of home. It's you're going to be a neighbor, and you're not only going to be a neighbor, but you're going to have neighbors from every nation join your neighborhood. That is the vision of their true home. And no more fasting, but it's now going to be feasting. No more mourning and abstinence in this, oh, we're homeless, but this, we're rejoicing, we're finally where we're supposed to be. Let's feast, let's celebrate. And the beautiful thing about this image of a feast is he doesn't just say, a lot of food. Because actually, if if you're thinking on one level, the opposite of fasting is eating food. But on a deeper level here, Zechariah's whole problem, God's whole problem with the people have been that your fasting was actually causing you to fast away from people. It wasn't a fasting from food it was a fasting from being a neighbor towards others so that the feasting is going to become a connecting with people and a belonging with people and a being a neighbor to people. Food plus people equals feast. Food minus people is just a lot of gluttony. <laughs> and there was a striking photo I saw um, on the web as I was thinking upon these things. And it was this man, and I, I was just lazy and I didn't get it on the screen. So that's just, you know. <laughs> there was this man, and he's, he's this businessman. He's in this nice suit. And he's kind of slouched in the chair like I'm all that. And he's got his like, you know, his elbow on the table, like a sign of power. And there's just this mountain of food all around him. And there's this hard face. And it almost looks like the eyes are hollow and empty. Because you know he's alone. There's no one else at this table. That's not a feast. That is as much a fast as not eating any food. But the feast Zechariah is talking about is yes, there will be food, but there will be lots and lots and lots of people flocking to you and joining together people from every nation. He says that is our true home is that the homeless people around the world. It's not just Israel that's in exile. It is every tongue, tribe, and nation. We are all lost from our true home. We are all wanderers. We're all sojourners. We're all homeless in a sense. And it is at that great day when God returns to Jerusalem that everyone will find home. They'll return to their original home. They will all be connected. They will all belong. It will be one happy neighborhood. (laughs) Well, I suspect... That being in Israel's condition, and ours for that matter, since we're not that different than Israel's exile, being astray from home and, at, and wanderers and homeless, the natural reaction of a homeless person is, I want home. And so it would be easy for Israel at this point to come to Jerusalem and say, all right, the prophet said people will be coming to us, so let's do this, let's bring everybody around us and let's make a neighborhood and let's make this work. And sometimes in our solitude, and our loneliness, in this inner homelessness, this I'm not yet fulfilled, I'm not yet where I want to be yet. I feel like I'm just honed. We're reaching and grabbing, trying to make home happen. And often our perspective is, I just need a lot of neighbors. That'll make me feel good. And we have this sense that we need to be needed. We need to belong. We need to be connected and these are real, true longings that are good. But what we do is we say, so what I need is a lot of neighbors, a lot of people around me, a lot of people to reach out to to fill this this hole, that they will be the shovel to fill this hole in my heart with dirt. Just fill me up. And so we're reaching for neighbors, and the whole game, this whole goal is I want to have a neighbor or two or 20. But though our motives are, well, that's something that's great, we're struggling big time we're not making a whole lot of neighbors we're making a whole lot of quarrels and fights in our lives have you noticed that how hard it is for us to connect how hard it is for us to get along across the board james chapter 4 verse 1 puts it like this what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you is it not this that your passions are at war within you. And we all have this passion. We all have this longing for home. But it's that very longing for belonging, that very need to be needed, that's actually causing us to fight and to butt heads with one another. Because our whole name to the game, the whole way we're going to fix this is, I need neighbors. So we're reaching and we're grabbing and we're bringing why is why are we having a hard time with this? Why does James say that this is only leading us to fight and to quarrel? Because in our homelessness we sense within ourselves a scarcity, a poorness in spirit. And in that scarcity, in that sense of unworthiness, in that sense of homelessness, We're desperately trying to feel worthy. We're desperately trying to look like we are at home and that we've got it all together and that we're not struggling as deeply as we are. So we actually become as narcissistic. And everything becomes about me, about me, my needs and my problems. And there's this focus on, I got to fix this. I got to. So we're reaching for neighbors. And what we're actually doing is we're building a neighborhood around self. Come move on my block. Make me feel better. Make me feel happier. But we're doing the very thing that everyone else is trying to do. And that starts territorial wars. and That starts with... That, 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 that starts the whole fighting and quarreling that James talks about and what we experience on a deep level. A narcissistic person that homeless person trying to build his own neighborhood by reaching for neighbors and building them around himself. That person cannot fulfill loving his neighbor. Like in seven, nine and eight, sixteen. Remember seven, nine render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. And then 8:16: "These are the things you shall do to speak truth to one another, render in your gates judgments that are true, and make for peace, Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another, and love no false oath for all these things I hate, declares the Lord. The one who's seeking desperately to have neighbors can not do that. So what if we stopped trying to have neighbors? And instead we started being a neighbor. What if we will have neighbors once we are neighbors, once we act like a neighbor? See, it is when I choose to be a neighbor that I will find that I actually do have neighbors. And rather than trying to build a neighborhood around myself and grabbing for people to come here and live in this block and do things my way and make me happy. We'll realize that home is findable. And that it's in Jesus. He's taking us there. And being a neighbor doesn't become all of you come around me. It becomes, hey, you. Come with me. Let's build a neighborhood around Jesus. It's his block. It's his city. This is our home. Well, the question is a natural one that we're all thinking. Well, who's my neighbor? <laughs> you want me to be a neighbor? Who am I to be a neighbor to? Obviously not. And you're thinking of a list of people. I'm not them. I'm doing really good on this list. Jesus was asked in Luke chapter 10, a religious scholar comes up to him and says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he says, well, what do you, what do you think? Well, when you read the scriptures, what does it say to you? He says, well, it says, love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus smiles and says, you got it. Do that and live. And then you can almost see the scene. It's like Jesus is turning to walk with his disciples, wherever he goes next. And the religious leader stops and says, but who is my neighbor? And we hear the message, love God and love others. Love your neighbor as yourself. And we're like, yeah, uh, yeah, we know. it's oh. Well, okay, let's clarify this. Who exactly are we talking about here? Neighbor like people we're close to and get along with? physical neighbor like the person next door to me who exactly is my neighbor and expecting a debate expecting a long conversation as would often happen in theological discussions (laughs) jesus simply tells the story of the good samaritan blindsides this questioner doesn't even really say This is who your neighbor is, but leaves it open ended and says, what do you think now? What do you think about that? And He closes the parable by saying, who to you was a neighbor to the wounded man? The priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan. And he's forced to have to answer the one he doesn't want to answer. The Samaritan was being a neighbor. But it still doesn't answer who is our neighbor. We know what it looks like to be a neighbor. It's the Good Samaritan. But who is the neighbor that we're to be a neighbor to? And that's the wounded man in the ditch. That's, that's the bleeding hearts around us. The homeless souls, the exiled wanderers, those that have a deep sense that they're not even close to home. They're not even close to home they're searching and they're struggling and they're yearning and they're longing and they're, they're reaching for every experience offered to them to try to feel anywhere close to home and like they belong and like they're connected. That person. The person that is rejected by priest and Levite. Yeah, even the people rejected by religion. Even people within religion. Everywhere. In other words, and somebody already blurted it out. Thank you for ruining the climax. <laughs> Jesus's point goes like this. Who is my neighbor? Everybody is your neighbor. We all come from the same creator. And we're all connected by by the source of our creator. Everybody. The world is my neighborhood. And I am to be a neighbor to every single living being that has a soul on this planet. And maybe more. That is whom I'm to be a neighbor to. everybody so this is what i hear zechariah inviting us to do he says that this 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 fasting question are we to fast or not he says no well he does not even really say no he just says in the future this ain't gonna be a question you're gonna be feasting with people everybody's coming together we're finally going to be neighbors with one another so i hear zechariah inviting us to stop fasting from each other And to start feasting with each other. To stop neglecting our neighbors. And to start being a neighbor. Because remember, it's food and people. That's the key ingredient to a feast. And you know what? We've often described, uh, maybe you have, maybe you haven't, but I've often had a mediocre plate of dinner, but the company made it feel like a feast. A feast is about people. And actually, so the whole, the whole fourfold message Zechariah has, it has nothing to do with food and everything to do with people and neighbors and neighborhood and home. So to stop fasting from each other and to start feasting with each other. And you know what's awesome? Jesus did exactly that. As he feasted with not the religious rulers who said that, oh, we know where we are, we're at home, we're God's perfect people. He went to the ones that knew they were homeless. Mark calls them the tax collectors and the sinners, and he ate with them. And the religious leaders come up to that scene and say, Why do John's disciples and the Pharisees fast while you feast? Do you not think that Jesus had this passage in mind? This is why I'm feasting. This is not time for fasting anymore. God has returned to Jerusalem, and I'm building a neighborhood, and I'm leading people home, and I'm building this neighborhood around me. So let us be a people who build the beginnings of neighborhoods around Jesus so that when he returns home is ready let's bring those glimpses of it now Let's stop fasting from each other and let's start laying the table and saying, let's be with one another and let's be neighbors and let's feast together. And let's be the way Jesus lived on earth, not weeping and moping and saying, golly, the stupid home. We're so disappointed with this earth. I just can't wait to be home. Hey, listen, we all feel it. But let's look past that. Like Zachary and say, we know where we're going, people. All the homeless of the world, we know where home is. Come build a neighborhood with me. Let's be alongside one another and be neighbors and feast together with Jesus at the center of the block. And we will one day move from home to home. And that'll be very, very glorious indeed. So let's build neighborhoods one person at a time by being a neighbor to one another.